Chapter eighteen of Theodoric the Goth by Thomas Hodgkin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eighteen Narses. Soon after the return of Belisarius to Constantinople came the fourth siege of Rome. Totila, who had sought the hand of a Frankish princess in marriage, received for answer from her father that the man who had not been able to keep Rome when he had taken it, but had destroyed part and abandoned the rest to the enemy, was no king of Italy. The taunt stung Totila to the quick. We know not whether he won his Frankish bride or no, but he was determined to win Rome. Assault again failing, he occupied Portus and instituted a more rigorous blockade than ever but it had become a matter of some difficulty to starve out the defenders of Rome, for there were practically no citizens there, only a garrison, for whose food the corn grown within the enclosure of the walls was nearly sufficient. The economic change from the days of the empire thus revealed to us is almost as great as if the harvests of Hyde Park and Regent's Park sufficed to feed the diminished population of London. There was, however, among the imperial soldiers in the garrison of rome as elsewhere deep discontent amounting sometimes to mutiny at the long withholding of their arrears of pay and the sight of the pomp and splendour which surrounded the former betrayer of rome when they rode in the ranks with totila was too much for their isaurian countrymen the men who kept watch by the gate of st paul close to the pyramid of caius cestius and now overlooking the english cemetery and keats grave offered to surrender their post to the gothic king to distract the attention of the garrison he sent by night a little band of soldiers on two skiffs up the tiber as far as they could penetrate towards the heart of the city these men blew a loud blast with their trumpets and thereby called the bulk of the defenders down to the river walls while the isaurians were opening st paul's gate to the besiegers who marched in almost unopposed the garrison galloped off along the road to civita vecchia and on their way fell into an ambush which totila had prepared for them whereby most of them perished totila now a second time master of rome determined to hold it securely he restored some of the public buildings which he had previously destroyed he adorned and beautified the city to the utmost of its power he invited the senators and their families to return he celebrated the equestrian games in the circus maximus in all things he behaved himself as much as possible like one of the old emperors of rome the year five fifty was the high water mark of the success of the gothic arms in italy only four cities all on the sea-coast were left to the emperor these were ravenna ancona otranto and crotona in sicily most of the cities were still imperial but totila had moved freely hither and thither through the island ravaging the villas and the farms collecting great stores of grain and fruit driving off horses and cattle and generally visiting on the hapless sicilians the treachery which in his view they had shown to the ostrogothic dynasty by the eagerness with which fifteen years before they had welcomed the arms of belisarius 
but at the end of a long and exhausting war it is often seen that victory rests with that power which has enough reserve force left to make one final effort even though that effort in the earlier years of the war might not have been deemed a great one so was it now with justinian's conquest of italy though he himself was utterly weary of the sisyphian labour he would not surrender a shred of his theoretical claims nor would he even condescend to admit to an audience the ambassadors of totila who came to plead for peace and alliance between the two hostile powers in his perplexity as to the future conduct of the war he offered the command to his grand chamberlain narses who eagerly accepted it the choice was indeed a strange one narses an armenian by birth brought as a eunuch to constantinople and dedicated to the service of the palace had grown grey in that service and was now seventy-four years of age but he was of illustrious rank he shared the most secret counsels of the emperor he was able freely to unloose the purse-strings which had been so parsimoniously closed to belisarius and he had set his whole heart on succeeding where belisarius had failed moreover he was himself both wealthy and generous and he brought with him a huge and motley host of barbarians huns lombards gepids Hurelians, all eager to serve under the free-handed chamberlain and to be enriched by him with the spoil of italy in the spring of five fifty two the eunuch general with this strange multitude calling itself a roman army marched round the head of the adriatic gulf and entered the impregnable seat of empire ravenna by adroit strategy he evaded the gothic generals who had been ordered to arrest his progress in northeastern italy and probably by about midsummer he had reached the point a little southwest of ancona where the flaminian way the great northern road from rome crosses the apennines here on the crest of the mountains narses encamped and here totila met him eager for the fight which was to decide the future dominion of italy a space of about twelve miles separated the hostile camps narses sent some of his most trusted counsellors to warn totila not to continue the struggle any longer against the irresistible might of the empire but if you will fight said the messengers name the day totila indignantly spurned the proposal of surrender and named the eighth day from thence as the day of battle narses however suspecting some stratagem bade his troops prepare for action and it was well that he did so for on the next day totila with all his army was at hand a hill which to some extent commanded the battlefield was the first objective point of both generals narses sent fifty of his bravest men overnight to take up their position on this hill and the gothic troops chiefly cavalry which were sent to dislodge them failed to effect their purpose the horses being frightened by the din which the imperial soldiers made clashing with their spears upon their shields several lives were lost on this preliminary skirmish the honours of which remained with the soldiers of narses at dawn of day the troops were drawn up in order of battle but narses had made all his arrangements on a defensive rather than an offensive plan and totila 
who was expecting a reinforcement of two thousand goths under his brave young lieutenant teus wished to postpone the attack both generals harangued their armies totila in words of lordly scorn for the patchwork host of various nationalities which justinian weary of the war had sent against him it was the emperor's last effort he declared and when this heterogeneous army was defeated the brave goths would be able to rest from their labours narses on the other hand congratulated his soldiers on their evident superiority in numbers to the gothic host they fought too as he reminded them for the roman empire which was in its nature and by the will of providence eternal while these little barbarian states vandal gothic and the like sprang up like mushrooms lived their little day and then vanished away leaving no trace behind them he had recourse also to less refined and philosophical arguments riding rapidly along the ranks the eunuch dangled before the eyes of his barbarian auxiliaries golden armlets golden collars golden bridles these said he and such other ornaments as these shall be the reward of your valour if you fight well to-day the long morning of waiting was partly occupied by a duel between two chosen champions a warrior named cocus who had deserted from emperor to king rode up to the imperial army challenging their bravest to single combat one of narses lifeguards an armenian like his master anzalus by name accepted the challenge cocus couched his spear and rode fiercely at his foe thinking to pierce him in the belly anzalus dexterously swerved aside at the critical moment and gave a thrust with his spear at the left side of his antagonist who fell lifeless to the ground a mighty shout rose from the imperial ranks at this propitious omen of the coming battle not yet however was that battle to be gained king totila rode forth in the open space between both armies that he might show the enemy what manner of man he was his armour was lavishly adorned with gold from the cheek-piece of his helmet from his pelum and his spear hung purple pennants his whole equipment was magnificent and kingly bestriding a very tall war-horse he played the game of a military athlete with accomplished skill he wheeled his horse first to the right then to the left in graceful curves then he tossed his spear on high to the morning breezes and caught it in the middle as it descended with quivering fall then he threw it deftly from one hand to another he stooped low on his horse he raised himself up again everything was done as artistically as the dance of a well-trained performer all this was beautiful to look at but it was not war the ugly wrinkled old armenian in the other camp who probably kept his seat on horseback with difficulty knew one may suspect more of the deadly science of war than the brilliant and martial totilla at length the long-looked-for two thousand arrived and totilla gave the signal to charge upon the foe it was the hour of the noontide meal and he hoped to catch the imperial troops in the disorder of their repast but for this also narses the wary had provided 
even the food necessary to support their strength was to be taken by the soldiers all keeping their ranks all armed and all watching intently the movements of the enemy narses had purposely somewhat weakened his centre in order to strengthen his wings which as the gothic cavalry charged closed around them and poured a deadly shower of arrows into their flanks again as in the campaigns of belisarius the hippotoxotai the mounted rifles of the empire decided the fate of the battle vain against their murderous volleys was the valour of the gothic horsemen the thrust of the gothic lance the might of the tall gothic steed charge upon charge of the goths was made in vain the cavalry could never reach the weak but distant centre of the imperialists at length when the sun was declining the horsemen came staggering back a disorganised and beaten band their panic communicated itself to the infantry who were probably the weakest section of the army the rout was complete and the whole of the gothic host was seen either flying surrendering or dying as evening fell totila with five of his friends hastened from the lost battlefield a young gepid chief named asbad ignorant who he was couched his lance to strike totila in the back a young gothic page incautiously cried out dog would you strike your lord hereby revealing the rank of the fugitive and of course only nerving the arm of asbad to strike a more deadly blow asbad was wounded in return and his companions intent on staunching his wound let the fugitives ride on but the wound of totila was mortal his friends hurried him on eight miles down the valley to the little village of caprai where they alighted and strove to tend his wound but their labour was vain the gallant king soon drew his last breath and was hastily buried by his comrades in that obscure hamlet the romans knew not what had become of their great foe till several days after when some soldiers were riding past the village a gothic woman told them of the death of totila and pointed out to them his grave they doubted the truth of her story but opened the grave and gazed their fill on that which was past all dispute the corpse of totila the news brought joy to the heart of narses who returned heartiest thanks to god and to the virgin his especial patroness and then proceeded to disembarrass himself as quickly as possible of the wild barbarians especially the lombards by whose aid he had won the victory which destroyed the last hopes of the ostrogothic monarchy in italy not thus easily however was the tide of barbarian invasion to be turned the lombards had found their way into italy as auxiliaries they returned thither sixteen years after as conquerors conquerors the most ruthless and brutal that italy had yet groaned under from that day for thirteen centuries the unity of italy was a dream first the lombard king and the byzantine emperor tore her in pieces then the frank descended from the alps to join in the fray the german the saracen the norman made their appearance on the scene not all wished to ravage and despoil some had high and noble purposes in their hearts but in fact they all tended to divide her 
the popes even at their best even while warring as italian patriots against the foreign emperor still divided their country last of all came the spaniard and the austrian by whom down to our own day italy was looked upon as an estate out of which kingdoms and duchies might be carved at pleasure as appanages for younger sons and compensations for lost provinces only at length towards the close of the nineteenth century has italy regained that priceless boon of national unity which might have been hers before it was attained by any other country in europe if only the ambition of emperors and the false sentiment of roman patriots would have spared the goodly tree which had been planted in italian soil by theodoric the ostrogoth End of chapter eighteen